listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Daria Brown. And this week, I have Kashina Holder. She is a special education teacher in Barbados and works with the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning as a Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based, or DIR, expert training leader, and uh, in the DIR Home Program as a floor time coach. She also owns a local private practice in Barbados called First Step, where she supports children with neurodiversities and their families. Today, we are talking about supporting and creating opportunities uh, for co-regulatory support because sometimes the biggest challenges parents have with their autistic children who have meltdowns is meeting the child emotionally and connecting. And so welcome Kashina. Thank you Daria. Thank you um, to everybody who's watching and engaging with us in this podcast. It's a pleasure to be here and just engage and share with you. Now, my first introduction to you, Kashina, was at the 2020 ICDL conference, Uh and you did a fantastic presentation with, I believe it was Gretchen Kamke and Virginia Spielman. Yes. And I've gotten to know you a bit better since, now that we're both uh, with ICDL. Uh And Kashina was our guest expert training leader at the parent support drop-in online about a month or so ago. And we had this wonderful, rich discussion about co-regulatory support with our children because uh, some of the parents were going through some struggles where, you know, there was separation anxiety of, you know, the transition to school, Mm -hmm. um, different teachers, what the children are expecting ends up being something different. And so I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to do a follow-up on co-regulation because I I have an initial blog post on co-regulation from, you know, a few years back, probably six or six years ago or so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there was um, a couple of podcasts where mentioned it, like in terms of occupational therapy, co-regulation is the driver for sensory integration with Keith Landair in Vancouver. And uh, I believe I talked about co-regulation in, in other podcasts scattered about, but Kashina, I haven't heard anybody articulate it the way you have so easily for parents to understand. So um, I don't know what you think the best way to start is. Do you, do you want to just generally introduce the concept? Should we talk about an example? What do you think? Yeah, I let's probably talk about an example because um, your viewers probably have heard, like you said, in different podcasts, the general concept. And I find um, in my experience with parents, they do respect the general information, but they really love like specifics that they can take home and chew on. So I think an example would really um, be an awesome place to start. That it's true because I have parents say to me all the time, 
I've read Engaging Autism by Greenspan Leader. I've read all your blog posts. I've listened to your podcasts, but I don't know what to do with my own child. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to implement it. And yeah. of course, that's where the DIR Home Program comes in because uh, virtual coaching really helps support the parent in that process and yes. what you do at your, your clinic. But also, um, for those that aren't aren't doing virtual coaching right now or can't at this time or whatever, it's it's really nice having those concrete examples, let's mm -hmm. say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, first of all, in general, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of autistic children have meltdowns. Mm -hmm. And in DIR, in floor time, we always say, look at the why behind the behavior. So why are they having the meltdown? And it's so natural for parents to forget about that sometimes and yeah. just focus on, you know, what's going on, uh, what's, <laughs> what's, what's, what's wrong. It's just this and that, or quiet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, definitely. Behave, you know, let's focus on. Uh, yeah. We talked about this yesterday. Why are you doing it again today? Yeah. That can definitely happen. And I think too, um, Dario, when we think about co-regulation, we have to think not only from the perspective of um, the dyad, so the two persons in the relationship, but I really think it starts from um, how well you're able to self-regulate, um, meaning the parent, and be aware of how you're feeling in the moment, how the experience is making you feel, and just owning that and knowing that it's okay, it's okay to be frustrated, it's okay to feel overwhelmed, to be uncertain, you know, to be scared as a parent because you're not sure what this particular thing or behavior that you're seeing, you're not sure where it's going to go or how it's going to be accepted. And that's a scary thing. And I think um, starting there, and I always encourage my parents to be reflective in that way, um, really helps you to be more open and available to that co-regulatory process. Because oftentimes in floor time, we say, always affirm that emotion, always validate the emotion in our kids. But who's validating the emotion in ourselves, right? In that moment, like, this is hard. Oh, I'm really um, anxious here. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a tough one. But I like to say, and even from experience as a parent of a toddler, <laughs> that when I, when I see a situation in front of me and I validate and affirm how I feel about it, I then feel empowered and activated to co-regulate more effectively right? Because I recognize that emotion in myself. And then my brain starts to go, aha, perhaps that's the same emotion that's happening here for him, my son, or for anybody's son or daughter, um, or your kids. So, so I think that's part of the, the dynamic as well, really starting with feeling comfortable, um, being true to the emotion that you are experiencing. And then we jump in with supporting that other person in the relationship as well. So that is really um, a start for, for supporting those core regulatory um, pieces in, in our everyday lives. It, it's such a, an important place to start. And I think, 
it's the biggest hurdle for so many people. Yeah. Because, you know, what we need to do when our kids are melting down is find that affect that they're mm -hmm. having in that moment mm -hmm. so they feel heard and understood. And yeah. if they don't feel heard and understood, what's the purpose of trying to listen to mom or dad or yeah. whoever yeah. I'm so flustered and they don't even get it. And yeah. if we try and break down what you said, so just in case someone's listening and they're like, what the heck is co-regulatory process? Yeah, what the heck is co-regulation? <laughs> it is using our back and forth interactions with each other to help calm down our nervous systems. And why don't you define co-regulatory process? Because you're probably yeah. better than I can. <laughs> no, you're on the right track. It is that. It is the ability to um, connect with the emotional state of another person and through your emotional energy and well-being um, bring um, the emotional place that that person is, is in to a nice calm available state so you're calm you're feeling um available and alert to your environment you're able then to use your emotional and affective state to support another person in coming to that same place um, and it's not a process of um you teaching or telling them to do it but it's really a process of them feeling and you attuning to where they're at and through that emotional signaling um it's really connecting and and on a very visceral level um having that attunement and that shift in terms of what they're feeling internally um so in seeing that then we see how we being aware of where we are in the process of co-regulation is really important because a lot of times not being conscious of how we're feeling um, as the co-regulator or where our emotional state is at, whether consciously or unconsciously, then uh, we're not as effective as we think we're going to be you know it's not intentional we don't intentionally go to say hey, i'm going to just add more heightened emotions to this experience right but without being aware of that happening then the process of being calming um joining and attuning can be more challenging can take a little longer so that's really the dynamic we're thinking about when we're thinking of that co-regulatory support using your capacity to support another person in um in becoming calm and the first functional emotional developmental capacity in the developmental individual differences relationship based model is self-regulation self and yes, in, the world in the world and being able to you know regulate your your nervous system your emotions in that and we've talked about this in um i've had many podcasts with dr ira yeah. about this and, and others about that process um, and, and Dr. Stuart Shanker, who, who also has selfreg.ca. Yeah, um, I love that. <laughs> that process of co-regulating is what fosters self-regulation mm -hmm. in our children. Yes, definitely. And, um, and I think too, as we think about co-regulation and the journey towards, I like to think of it as a journey. 
the journey towards being um, a um, efficient at self-regulating is definitely one that can take multiple paths. Um, and I like to think of it also in the context of the multiple paths go with the diversity in family dynamics, um, in individual um, um, processing for not only our children, but also um, the families as well that are supporting those children. So I, although there are a lot of philosophies, theories, things that really work, I think a lot of the takeaway for me, and even in supporting the families and children that I um, engage with, is really helping them to see what is unique to your um, particular family dynamics or individuality that you can take away from this model, that you can really use and um, implement in a way that you feel successful in it, you know, because uh, like you said earlier, a lot of times when we're thinking about, I read this, I heard that, then it's really the application in the moment um, how are you then able to take this information of being aware of how I'm feeling? What does that look like for me? Do I run into a corner and scream it out? Do I just use verbal affirmation to make myself aware that I am angry, I am frustrated, I am scared? Um, do I internalize it through mental um, or cognitive um, conversations? So it's taking that information and seeing what practically applies to your individual self as well. And at the same time, seeing within a particular strategy, what is feasible for your, your child, right? Do they respond um, to a specific thing when we're thinking about um, supporting that core regulatory um, piece? Um, are they responsive to affect alone? Do they need affect and some tactile input, right? Um, is it a case where we're doing tactile input with our affect of, oh, so hard, but it's more deep pressure. So it's really blending um, and finding those nuances through that co-regulatory journey that is specific to your dyad, your relationship. Um, and I think if I have to give parents one thing, it's definitely that process of trial and ex, um, experimenting and just being comfortable with saying, oh, that didn't work today, you know? <laughs> Let's try it a different way. Or, you know, that works sometimes, but not every time, and that's okay. And I can try something else slightly different so that I can find the right mix. Because I like to also think of when we're thinking of co-regulation, there are different mixes for different days, for different types of experiences. Um, but in all of that, I think what we really want to bring away with us um, when we're talking about co-regulation is the essence of time, right? It's the essence of time. 
in that we're not watching the clock. We don't have that subconscious pressure of how long will this take? Oh, I have a meeting in five minutes. And that's the reality for parents, for people in general. And I think for me as a special educator, I am always consciously aware of how I'm I imposing that subconscious pressure of time for my parents or on my parents, especially at those transitions, pick up and drop off, right? Those are huge transitions um, for a lot of our, our population. And for me, I, I, I try to send that message or that energy of, you know, we can take all the time we need for your little one to feel safe and ready to come into class, right? And that, that process really starts from me um, helping parents to feel held within the context of my classroom or school as a philosophy so that they are not having another subconscious pressure of, Miss Holder really wants the kids to be in class by nine. I go, no, I really want them to be in class feeling safe, <laughs> right? Um, so then they then know that they have whatever they need to take that time to stay and connect and really work through those um, feelings of safety and security and warmth and love and not feel any additional pressure. And I think that's a huge piece that a lot of times we overlook. Um, I even tell my parents from the morning time, we're not aiming to get to school on time, but we're aiming to get to school feeling safe, right? And that's a really huge piece when I think about core regulation. And, and that in itself helps the day to start better because we're not racing against the clock, right? We're feeling as a whole, as a family, that we can take each moment by moment, enjoy it for its experience to its fullest, and then day starts in a lot better place. And a lot of the times the feedback from, from parents are like, that works. Like I wake up in the morning and we're like, hi, we're having breakfast. It's going to be this. How about that? Next is time for bath. Oh, you don't really want to bathe? Okay, we'll just give it a minute. You know, um, that helps a lot because when we think about being or becoming dysregulated, a lot of times it's the accumulation of experiences. It's the accumulation of sensory information that's become overwhelming. So if we start there with not accumulating <laughs> that as much as we can, as it relates to experiences, then we're more able to work on those core regulatory um, um, instances we're now creating more and more opportunities for our sensory systems, our emotional systems to work on that co-regulatory dance. So for me, working on co-regulation is not waiting until we are dysregulated. 
right? But it is how our energies engaging, intertwining when we're both in a good place. And that then builds and supports the foundation for how do we respond to each other? How are our emotional selves um, signaling and reading each other when we are not in our best place, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the vastness in a nutshell of how um, I think and how through experience, uh, we create as many opportunities for core regulation as possible. Parents bring to us their struggles. My child won't do this. My child melts down when this happens. My child isn't doing this. I think they should be doing this. How do I get my child to do this? The problems, the problems, the problems, the struggles, the struggles, the struggles. And we're saying a number of things. So what you're saying um, most recently, which I don't want to talk about yet, but we'll get to, is that by building these opportunities, when things are good and building this, you know, uh, interactions and back and forth, uh, circles of communication and having all of these pieces in place where we build trust, you're going to help prevent all of these meltdowns and things. But I want to go back to the meltdowns and difficult times because the very first point you made was that we need to check in with ourselves and that could be an entire semester course, <laughs> years worth of therapy for some parents, because I see parents that just do that naturally. Yeah. And other parents who maybe have known and learned about floor time for years and they can't for the life of them do it. And so I think it is difficult for a lot of parents to check in with where they are emotionally. And I don't want to say that it's just men because I've seen women who aren't able to either. Mm -hmm. And, but stereotypically the way men are raised, you know, not to be in touch with their emotions. Uh, so uh, that's not always true though. I've seen many men who are, are able yeah. to do this, mm -hmm. but maybe it's an overarching way. And Dr. Glavinsky talks about this is how we were raised. So if you were not nurtured as a child and you weren't shown empathy and you were, you know, had a very authoritarian kind of, you know, do this, do that, yeah. you know, kind of thing, um, then it might be hard. It could go either way. It might be very hard for you to do that, or you might have resonated with how that felt. And therefore I'm not going to do that with my child yeah. and go the other way. Yeah. But either way, um, if parents are listening and they're struggling, it's really hard to turn the mirror on yourself and say, but my child's the one with the disorder, quote unquote, yeah. my child has the diagnosis. They're not doing these things that other kids do, maybe that their siblings do. Why can't they just, and then we realize, okay, but our child has all of these individual differences that are very unique. And certainly our children trigger us more than a lot of people can, right? So turning that mirror on yourself and saying, what are you doing to contribute in this process uh, is yeah. very difficult for a lot of parents to do. It's not me, my child won't. And it's not about blaming or not blaming, but it's about recognizing, like you said, what is my emotional state right now? Some people really have a hard time doing that. 
So I'm really feeling tense because my child is screaming and the teacher is at the door waiting for the school drop off. Are embarrassed. I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling judged. All the other kids are going in. My child isn't. What does that say about me as a parent? Um, why, why can't I get my child to blah, 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 blah. And just acknowledging in that moment, I feel stressed. I feel anxious. I feel angry. I feel embarrassed and that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. Um, and I think too, part of that journey is being with a person um, so from in my context, I would see me as the teacher giving you the experience that it is okay. Um, because for a lot of our parents, um, our, our, our parents that I work with, whether in practice, um, through the home program or, you know, in my in school setting, um, when I ask them, how are you feeling right now, mommy, daddy, um, um, whatever um, pronouns they're um, respond to um, a lot of times they'll be like I'm fine I'm like uh but your whole body looks like cringy and you're sweating and they're like you notice everything I'm like no just you <laughs> you know um, and they start to feel comfortable with just give me a basic feeling and and I think even for me culturally Tapping into emotions is not something we do culturally. We have like four emotional labels, angry, sad, scared, and upset. And upset can replace any of the three at any point in time in our culture. So everything is, I feel upset. I feel upset, right? So that's what parents would oftentimes give me. And I would say, oh, okay, is there upset more like a, I have an appointment in 10 minutes and this is taking too long upset or is it a I think Miss Holder is judging me because I'm not haven't yet transitioned my little one to school upset and they'll be like uh the first one maybe the second one maybe a little of both and that's the beginning and I'm like you see that was easy peasy so it's really helping them also to think you know I really don't need you to get very very deep but I need you to at least tell me what at least your surface emotion is, and then we can work on the rest later. And that's a start to give your brain permission to see, aha, you're hearing me because I'm shouting this emotion so loudly, you're not acknowledging it, I need to scream harder, right? That's that's what I tell my kids. Like if you, you're angry and you're not telling yourself how you're feeling, your brain likes to hear you, you know, validate it. So then it will shout louder and louder and you get more and more angry. Um, so that's the same concept I would give my parents. In their start to then join in, in calming and regulating their little one. Um, so it's like you said, it is a complicated process, a lot of complexities, but I really encourage parents and, and caregivers to start just skimming the surface for now. You know, simple, um, keep it yeah, simple. very yeah. simple, very simple. Um, and that simplicity is enough you know, to open the door for you to be able to become more available. 
um, to the process of supporting your little one in connecting and feeling calmer. Um, because a lot of times I see that initial, um, I would say avoidance very loosely, avoidance of not affirming how you're feeling as the adult in the process as really a signal blocker. Mm -hmm. So you are intending to send all the signals of you can do this. I am here with you. We are together. But something is blocking it, you know, and sometimes it is that initial feeling that we're not making ourselves aware of then to be able to signal to our little ones more efficiently. Yeah, and if we're not available and we are angry and impatient, our children pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And back to that uh, point that we made at the beginning about having to have our children feel heard and understood. So mm-hmm. sort of mirroring what we see, um, I, I think, you know, again, based on our own individual differences as parents, we're more or less comfortable either verbalizing or even without words just showing like yeah it's hard i see you're struggling right now some parents are able to put those labels on it some are just impatient like this is ridiculous they shouldn't feed it's just this it's just Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. and and it's hard for them to verbalize it so maybe just sitting there like maybe they just sit there and think about like i'm feeling stressed right now and just acknowledging that without saying anything is relaxing them enough for the yeah child to see that they're relaxing enough yeah definitely is relaxing enough okay maybe i can relax a little bit more that, no definitely and I, and and for me i think and um that's what i don't know all the science but i think that's generally what's happening because we know that in in those moments of heightened emotional experiences you're not really hearing any words like you know words are like blah 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 <laughs> while you're really um attuning to what's really doing the calming or what's the support is that emotion you're feeling and I really like to think of it in the context of, you know, we we pick up on emotional signals really strongly. Um, we can walk into a space and we can read the emotional energy of that room. No word said, right? Even very little actions occurred. And we can go, oh, here's a bit tense. I wonder what happened 30 seconds before I came, right? Or we can go, whoa. Everybody feels really lively and they can feel the energy of the room. It's really motivating and invigorating. And again, nothing said or nothing done. So from that context, from that premise, for me, when I'm really thinking of finding those opportunities for co-regulation, supporting within that co-regulatory space, it's really about, and I like to use a phrase, um, Um, projecting your emotional energy with intensity, right? I like that. (laughs) Yeah, and that's just what it is, with intensity. And sometimes I would say with intent. Um, But it's not a lot of what have I done and what have I said and how have I said it, but what did my emotions project and how were they received? 
right? And that's the connectivity and attunement that we're thinking of, we're looking for when we're using um, this framework of DIR um, and floor time. And just to give an example from my experience as a teacher, we know we have a wide variety of children with many, many different profiles. So I have some of those kids who don't accept regulation or co-regulation, sorry, through like touch or close proximity. So I really have to test my own theory. Can I project across the room <laughs> experiences of you are in a safe place, I am here, um, you're being held and understood, you know, without even words, because talking for some kids, that, that flips the script, <laughs> right? Um, so it is really that. Um, being able to create and let my energy fill the room in a way where they feel um, what they need to feel or get receive what they need to receive from me to help them um, become calm and, and supported and back to that place of safety. Um, because um, for me, with all the research and research is really backing that up, a lot of what we are seeing our kids experience, their behaviors, um, their response to their environment is a quest for safety. You know, I don't feel safe right now. I don't know what to do with my body. I am not comfortable with what's happening. I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And it really boils down to feeling safe, you know, and, and, Maybe I'm too interceptive, <laughs> but I always take that back um, to anybody I'm engaging with. I wonder how you would feel if, mm -hmm. and, and let that oftentimes be the launch pad for then having the ability or stronger ability to put yourself in your kiddo's shoes, you know? I wonder if I got you up in the morning, gave you all these things, no opinion, <laughs> drag you out the house, took you to this huge place, like, where am I going? Hang on, hang on, hang on, <laughs> right? And successively, these things are happening that somebody else is doing to you. At some point in time, how would you feel? Like somebody might said, really mad, really lost. And then that's the launching pad for starting to understand the perspective of our kids, you know, um, having, um, so, and, and sometimes for me, I'm thinking of, because we parent so rapidly, we, we facilitate as learners so rapidly that we oftentimes don't slow down to take that time to see the world from the perspective of our kids. And I think that really helps also in that core regulatory process, understanding yourself, understanding another person's perspective and how that experience regardless of size can mirror to an extent what I feel as well um, and how together and collectively we can support us as a dyad in our relationship into um, all being more regulated from 
day-to-day interaction to interaction. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing sometimes. Um, and and this is where I, I giggle when I read a lot of things from self-advocates when they say, you know, they say that we're we don't have theory of mind and understanding mm-hmm. another person's perspective. And yet the parent has no theory of mind of what the child is going through and not yes. be able to take the perspective of the child. And when you talked about going into a big room and you can sort of feel the emotional energy and read the room, uh, our kids can do that. And a lot of parents think, oh, they're in their own world. They're not interacting. They don't understand. But no, they're feeling a lot. Mm-hmm. They can mm-hmm. feel everything, even if they're not able to then show you that they're feeling it and mm-hmm. um, convey that to you or, you know, in that way, yeah. they're struggling with that relationship with you because they don't feel understood. And it, it's not that it's your fault, mm-hmm. but it's that we want to step in and understand what is preventing them from feeling safe in this moment. And like mm-hmm. you said, some kids, you know, some kids, a big, big hug and squeeze will help other kids that would drive them crazy. You know, there's different ways to soothe somebody and make them feel safe. And, and we have to try and figure out what's preventing Why a child mm-hmm. from doing that. It's not that they can't, it's that we have to accommodate what their needs are so that they can be empowered to feel safe, to feel calm, to make that transition. Yeah. Yeah, and and that is is definitely the case. And I think too, um, you know, and we can probably say that for everything, it's a complex process. <laughs> you know, um, for a parent to sit down and unpack that for 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 their um, for the little one, um, and unpacking it may take some intuition. Um, a, a widening of your knowledge base, um, somebody to help you unpack it as well. So it looks different. But what I would say, and I say it, I don't know who else does, is I always tell my parents that your instincts are your best friend, right? What do you feel instinctually? What does your gut say? That's what mm-hmm. we say in our country. What does your gut say in this moment before everything else starts to cloud it, right? And 99% of the time, anecdotally, (laughs) your gut gives you the right answer, the right move, the right emotion, the right thing to do in this moment. And I really just want to help parents to use a lot more of that, you know, as much as they can and connect with that internal um, instinctual self, especially when it comes to building a relationship with their kids. Because a lot of times if I say to a parent, like, hmm, what do you think you could have done so differently? They're like, um, you know, I could have just just let it go and maybe watch him run across the field and no one would have died. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. How about let's try that tomorrow? They're like, all right, all right, I can do that tomorrow. That doesn't sound too hard, right? Um, And then um, use that opportunity to help them to reflect on, you know, which day worked better for you? 
Which day made you feel calmer? Which day made you, you know, have more productivity at work, right? Um, and then start to transfer that to, again, mm, how do you think your child was at school today when we let him run across the field when it was safe? Like, he had a great day, right? So then helping them to see how those opportunities to connect, attune, support core regulation really is um a driving force for self-regulation beyond that moment, right? Um, but it is, again, a process. Um, and you definitely, if you don't feel as if you have the tools, um, sometimes need that support to get the ball rolling. But like I said, initially, I really think that um, parents have that intrinsically. Uh, we probably just shut it down occasionally because it's not um, the the best answer when we when we weigh against social norms or you know other ways that we've been socialized or or we're under stress. Uh, we yeah. have a bad day, and yeah. I know that I'm not being very empathetic right now, but. I'm dysregulated and I gotta yeah. get through something myself. And, and that, yeah. Do that rupture and repair. Repair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> repair like, oh, exactly. I, I was feeling really grumpy earlier. It wasn't your yeah. fault. Yeah. No, and I love that you said that. I love that you said that, Daria, because I think it gives parents permission not to carry guilt, Yeah. right? And I talk a lot about that rupture and repair. We all do it. We all do it in all, it's an experience in all relationships where um, we have to go back and repair. And um, as parents, that is part of the process as well. That's taking um, advantage of a moment for core regulation. When we come back and say, oh, mommy, mommy yelled, you know, I'm so sorry. I was stressed. I was tired. That you know, how did you feel when I do, did that? You know, oh, grumpy. I'm sorry, you know. Um, and and sometimes if I share experience of, of how I parent, um, other parents may say, you apologize to your son? Like all the time. <laughs> it's a constant thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, mommy, do better. <laughs> like, I will next time. <laughs> But no, it's part of the process. And I think in that, it's also helping um, to build a more um, intense and in-depth emotional relationship as well, you know, between um, each other. So definitely that rupture and repair is a really essential part of the um, co-regulatory journey that parents can definitely feel and experience. And just to go back to that place that you said, you know, we're, I love how you said we're accumulating experiences throughout the day. So we, we, we mentioned it. I just want to dive into it a bit more. You can accumulate lots of negative experiences throughout the day. So I got cut off on my way home, almost got in a car accident. Then um, I hit every red light then it started raining while I was driving and I ran out of windshield washer fluid and whatever it is, I'm just making this up. <laughs> you get home okay. and you're stressed and you're like, ah. 
I need to unwind kind of thing. And then you're put under stress with your child uh-huh. whining or melting down or whatever. Those accumulation of stressful experiences have put you, uh, what did call it say in a past podcast? I've used up some of my spoons. I only uh-huh. have an, a couple of spoons left or, you know, my patience is limited. It's not replenished. Yeah. So that's an example of negative accumulated experiences for our child. They've been at school all day. Maybe they're in a, in a place where their teacher's not like Kashina. <laughs> their teacher <laughs> is demanding and, and expecting compliance and expecting behavior and, and, you know, sternly speaking to them if they don't comply. And then they're expected to go here and go there and be around all these loud kids and running around and movement. And by the time the child gets home, they're so overly spent that they've yeah. had this accumulation of negative experiences. And so then we're more likely both to be dysregulated. Mm-hmm. But what you were talking about was let's remedy that. Let's temper that experience by accumulating positive experiences. Yeah. yeah. So this is where Dr. Greenspan said, when you, the way to remedy these things is to do more floor time. So mm-hmm. let's have positive experiences where we're in a good place. We're building trust with each other. I'm tuning in to what your emotional experience is in this moment. Maybe I'm commenting on how much fun you're having doing something. I'm experiencing it with you. We're laughing together. All of these positive experiences of connecting with each other are, as Kathy Platzman said in one of the podcasts, putting pennies in the bank. In the bank, yeah. Right? So we've got this, we've got I'm your podcast um, junkie. (laughs) We've got a relation, and and they're all like cataloged in my head. Mm -hmm. So they just come out. (laughs) But, you know, there's like this bank of relationship. Yes. Trust. And I feel safe with this person. And the more you feel safe with that person, when those bad accumulated experiences happen and that person is there to co-regulate with you, those pennies in the bank are really valuable. They are. They are. They are. And it can um, it can mitigate, I believe, a lot of the intensity. I'm not taking away um, the fact that overload and overwhelm um, is intense, but overload and overwhelm can be less intense in the right environment with the right relationship and i like to use myself and my experience as a parent as an example um because my son has really um i sometimes say hidden sensory needs because like everybody's like he's good i'm like "Ah." (laughs) you don't see this i do but your example of school is really where his sensory system is triggered, right? With overload. So he gives school all of the spoons he has, all of them, right? He would give his um, carpool parents the remainder of the spoons he has. From the time he gets out of the car, like no more spoons? (laughs) The spoons are all gone? Oh dear. Right. And I'm the same, like work takes most of my spoons and I'm consciously being aware to leave one, you know, so it supports him and I at that transition. Right. But I've done that over a period of time. 
Um, so when he meets me, I know he has no more spoons in that drawer. So my connection is, huh, I wonder how your body is feeling today. He's like, I'm good. But his affect is <laughs> not matching his words. But I've learned to read his body versus the language he gives me. Um, earlier on in our relationship, I, I give, gave him like pictures of different ways my body may be feeling so that mommy doesn't have to play I'm guessing game while we're going home in the car and you're trying to get out the window because it's too much you know um so those anchors I'm giving that as an example to parents um we can definitely put in because I'm overloaded he's overloaded so we're talking or engaging on our overload Today was a hard day. Oh, I am so tired. My head hurts, right? Oh, I really don't feel like talking, so I'll just grunt, right? <laughs> so those are the types of conversations or engagement um, I started to have with him so that he recognizes that I am still affirming myself of this is a hard day, don't want to do much, right? Rather than adding more expectations on both of us, right? Because most of the times as a parent, you may go, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. I have to ask them how was their day? No, like we can have a moment for both of us to recover before we, we demand anything of each other. Okay, we're going to say something that's golden so <laughs> listeners if if you tuned out for a second tune back in because what she just said is so important um we have these expectations like oh i need to ask how the day was i need to and she's saying no just be mm -hmm. don't do anything just be with your child and express the experience and what you're doing when you say oh, oh it was a hard day i have a headache you're doing two things you're well you're doing maybe a lot of things but Three things, you're normalizing the experience that they're having. So, oh, it's okay to do that? Yeah, Mom mommy that. feels that. Uh -huh. Mom feels that, so uh -huh. I can feel that way too. It's, yeah, this is normal to feel this. And then, two, you're giving them permission to do that themselves. Uh -huh. So, oh, I, and you know, we see this in our kids all the time. They imitate us, right? Uh -huh. So, especially, <laughs> and, and what do they imitate? They imitate the emotional things. So yes. someone goes, oh, I'm going to say a nice word. Oh, um, oh, pillows. <laughs> no, what, what did Jackie Bartel say? Oh, bother. My son picked up on that and repeated that. We saw her in Rochester at the Museum of Play and, and he was frustrated. So she said, oh, bother. And he picked up on that. And they say it in Peppa Pig as well, mm -hmm. which he watched mm -hmm. for a long time. Yes. It, so he said that all the time. He might not pick up on some other thing you say, but when it's said with affect, they're going to pick up on it. Yes. So, you know, if, if you're at home and you're swearing or you're saying bad words, they pick up on that because of the emotional content. So mm -hmm. if we're also saying like, oh, that was a bad day or, you know, like those kinds of things. So you're giving them permission to feel the same thing. And then the third thing that I was thinking is, yeah, you're just experiencing life together. Yeah, sharing that moment. So that's that shared yeah. experience. And that's part of these accumulating the pennies in the bank, providing yeah. cushioning for when they do fall down. They yeah. have that cushioning from, oh, mom and I share our experiences together. It's safe to say what I feel. Yes. Safe to vent. 
it's definitely safe to not be okay uh, yeah imagine dragons has a new song uh kathy platzman's son the drummer <laughs> he's mm -hmm. uh um one of the the lyrics is it's okay not to be okay it's just fine to be out of your mind blah 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 yeah, i like so, it yeah, it's okay <laughs> to not be okay and we're giving our kids permission so yeah. that that's a huge piece that i hope parents yeah. took away as well i hope so too because i think as parents we put ourselves as a on a pedestal for parenting right and we oftentimes forget that it's okay to be a human first right um to be a person and I think it's not intentional, but we're not sure oftentimes how to do it within the context of being a parent and nurturing this other person along, right? And I too had to come to a place where I marry my professional self and that knowledge with my parenting self and, and, and how to express that as a parent, you know? And I oftentimes um, would say that, I find that my son, he connects with me if I am me, right? If I am authentic to how I am feeling. So if I am seeing him, I'm like, I'm so frustrated right now. I would even give him some words like, mommy's tactile system is like, I can't do any more hugs. He's like, okay, okay, a touch. I was like, all right, on my fingertips. <laughs> right so um so so then again i'm building that relationship in a way where he can start to read himself as well you know he may not necessarily have the same language but then he can communicate where he is at and i and i really love um um, to say that in a way that, again, it's not judgmental because I know all of our kids are not verbal. But when I when I think about communication, I am not listening to his words because mm -hmm. he would call some big words and like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, that means to jump over a stick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm looking at his body. What's his body telling me? What is his face telling me? What kind of information is that giving me? Like, I'm good, mommy, but no, you're, you're sweat. You're sweating on your bro, you know? Like, uh, are you sure you're good? Your face looks a little pale and like, you know? Um, so all of that information is what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking about communication. Um, you're coming through the door, but your shoulders are shrugged forward. Um, are you like leaning on a sleigh with a little limp? Like, oh, you had a rotten day. No, I have the best day ever. <laughs> that's not what your body is saying, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's what I'm meaning with communication and not so much verbal information um, that I'm reading that I want him to understand, that I want him to connect with me on so that when he is not in a good place, we are better, better signalers to each other and he can read my energy and I can read his more efficiently. And that's, I think, um, a huge, huge um, growth that I, I and gift I, I would want to give to as many parents as I, as I possibly can. I was just gonna say some, that might make some people defensive, like, um, oh, 
you're okay. Well, you don't look okay. Oh, you're sweating. Like, I think if someone said that to me, I'd be self-conscious and (laughs) I'm fine and want to walk away. Right. So I guess you also have to. It's a relationship we built. (laughs) Yes. 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 It's very relationship specific. Yes. And it's, and that is true. And I think earlier we did mention that in terms of understanding who you're in the relationship with and what they respond to, um, um how they respond to it so that then you can use that to make modifications and and shift what you're doing um but that's just that's how we talk you know that's that's um how i've built or we've built our relationship over the years but i'm happy that you you bring brought that out as a as a valid point I'm yeah. thinking you could have a series of adorable TikTok videos of uh, these interactions of you and your Ah, uh, yeah. Somebody so mentioned cute. that before, but then <laughs> uh, I tried it once and I realized, like, hang on a minute, you're too excited about this. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. Like, mommy, I can grow up to be a YouTuber. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's- It's awesome. I I wanted to end off on um, sort of taking it up to the next notch. So uh, I hear from a lot of parents that, you know, one parent is totally on board with all this stuff, but the other parent isn't. And this is where um, you want to maybe, maybe the only thing we can do is sort of model what we do and also, um, What's the word? Uh, not cover for, but I'll give you an example. So sometimes. Uh, to be oh. honest, Daria, I live that life. I'm a floor timer. <laughs> See, not many people have two floor timers in their house. <laughs> so I do yeah. understand on a very real level um, what you are presenting. And what I, I do say to my parents and what I say to myself is that the world has a diversity of people and our kids will grow up with many different types of relationships, right? And what we can do, sometimes the only thing we can do, and it's not putting the other partner down in any way, yeah, um, but what we can do is provide um, a relationship that when they need something specific, they know where they can come for it. Because that person, um, a mom, dad, whatever you refer yourself to, um, your partner, provides a different type of relationship for, for your kids. So, um, to avoid some of that tension, that tug, that overwhelming feeling of, come on and get on the same board I'm on. We're riding this specific wave. Um, I've found that taking some of that away from yourself um, really helps you to be more available to nurture this place that they can come to for this specific type of support because there is something that I can't offer or may not be able to offer that they can go to another relationship for. And knowing that that's okay, that's okay, right? 
um, and, and then enough tools and resilience found in different relationships supports them being strong, effective, and very flexible in another relationship. And that's just how I look at it, you know, and it may be accepted for people, other me think, no, I can't do that. I don't like that virgin. <laughs> but um, it works. And sometimes a struggle added to a struggle may not always be like the healthiest for the, the, the um, environment as a whole. Well, yeah. what I like about what you said is that um, it made me think that also, if everybody's always nurturing and floor time and that, the child gets used to that. And yeah. then what happens when they come across somebody who's not? They're like yeah. really kind of traumatized by that. Yes. Going yes. On. So yes. I like how you brought up that piece of resilience. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess um, I was thinking of a couple of things. Like what you brought up was not what I was thinking at all. So I'm glad okay. you brought that up because <laughs> it's such an important point. Like, yeah. let's just work on the relationship that we have. Um, but what I'll do sometimes if I notice, uh, so, you know, my son will get up and his dad won't have had his coffee yet <laughs> and might snap about something and, and my son, ah, or whatever, and I'll, you know, and then I'll be driving him to school and I'll say, ah, oh, dad, I was so grumpy this morning. He didn't have his coffee yet. You know, dad, gets really grumpy when he doesn't have coffee. So it just sort of, again, normalizes the experience. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's not about you. It's yeah. okay. Um, yeah. It's everybody gets grumpy. And then I'll yeah. say, you know how, because my son and I are very much alike. You know how you and I get really grumpy when we're hungry? That's how Dada gets when he doesn't have his coffee. And we get grumpy like that, too. So sort of like, yeah. I don't want to say covering for your spouse. No. But, but just providing making meaning context. of the experience. Yes. yes. I do <laughs> that a lot. <laughs> and no, I do it a lot. Um, not necessarily in my home situation, but just for my children in general. Because um, their experience with me as a teacher is not the experience they have with another teacher right so some a lot of times like oh that didn't make you feel good at all you know you know some and like just the same language you use sometimes you know when we feel like this we might say and do it like this but don't we really mean it some of them say yes i mean it <laughs> you know but for the most part the process goes like that um but for me i see it as making meaning I'm helping them to make it, to make meaning of what that interaction is and how do I contextualize it emotionally and otherwise? Um, how then can I work through it should it happen again with another person or the same person? So I really see it as making meaning and that's really an essential part of that co-regulatory process as well and putting those pennies in the bank is that then if they, th that is something that may be an emotional trigger because of the meaning they now have of what the experience is, the emotional trigger may not be as intense because they can go, oh, okay, and go probably go get a cup of coffee for that. I said, Daddy, do you need your coffee? <laughs> you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> 
Um, so definitely that that is a really, really um, cool, cool tool to have. Yeah, I love yes, it. yes, um, I love it. And I'm just thinking uh, before we sign off, and hopefully listeners are still with us because we could talk about this for days, I think, Sheena. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that one example you gave in the parent support group was really helpful. We went through an example of a child transitioning to school and the, uh, whoops, there's my alarm, um, that we have a teacher who switched. So this child was gonna have a new teacher and the child wasn't excited about going to school and it was harder to get them ready and harder to get them in the car. And then when they got to school, they didn't wanna go in because it wasn't their beloved teacher anymore. Mm -hmm. It was a new teacher. And you really uh, stressed and, and it, you know all of the things we already talked about, but specifically you were saying that, um, that I remembered that was, was so helpful was you said, shed the expectation about this is a task, getting the child to school, uh -huh. and instead connect with the emotional meaning of the experience. So um, you're validating what the child's feeling and you are slowing the process down and not rushing them through it. Uh -huh. and, and doing that helps all the things we talked about, whereas yeah. you know, you're checking in with the child's emotional state, you're helping them feel validated, but it's also modeling for the teacher who may or not may not be a floor timer uh -huh. that I'm allowing my child to experience this and and slowing it down. Do you want to elaborate on that uh, a little bit more? Because I, I love the way you said um, you want to, you said, we're tapping into their emotional selves so we can feel another person's warmth or sorrow, even though they didn't say, I am sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I how you said yeah. that. Oh, thank you. Because I'm like, I don't remember these things I say, Daria, to be honest. <laughs> I'm I like, I, thank you. <laughs> no. Um, I, and, I, and I think, too, when I said that, a lot of times when I'm talking, and it happens a lot, when I talk to parents, I go into just a different emotional space, to be honest. <laughs> um, because my my heart really um, opens up for parents and the experiences that parents have, right? Um, so in the context of saying that, I really was feeling how a parent may have felt having to live through that experience, right? And if I had to open up their heart, their emotional self, that's really what a parent is feeling. Even if frustration is at the surface, even if a bit of embarrassment, even if a bit of like, I'm lost, what, what should I do next? Deep down, I am feeling this sorrow, this um this space of um depth of loss what is happening and i think when we are in those moments with our kiddos that's a lot of times and for that specific experience what our children are feeling where is my teacher where is this relationship that i had that i developed with this person I know she's not in that building. I know it, right? And having somebody to join me in that, in that knowing of I have lost my teacher who understands me, who makes me feel safe. 
um, and just allowing me to have that feeling and being there with me during the expression of that, however it may look. Um, a lot of times it's lost because of a lot of the external things that we have to do that we consciously or unconsciously put on ourselves on our kids and i think i mentioned or alluded to it earlier on i really make an effort to work on that with my kids and my parents um to dig past, shovel it away as much as we can and just leave those raw emotions here. Let's cry together. Yeah, let's cry together because it's hard for everybody on um, its quarter to nine. <sighs> Who cares? This is where we're at today right now, right? And that is okay. My parents would tell you that I come out and they're like tissue stuff in my jacket, <laughs> all kinds of things in my jacket for whatever may present to me because I really want them to understand that it's that emotional availability that supports your little ones. Nothing else, very little else, right? It's that emotional availability of you as a person, you know, and then as a mommy or daddy or a parent, that really is what can can create so many shifts um and it's the time to be able to do that the feeling that you have the time to be able to do that and i know um i say that and i have images of parents with two and three other kids waiting in the car you know i know that i know that's the reality um and and, and as a tool i always love to give tools in my generalizations as a tool I oftentimes encourage that while one person may be presenting as being overwhelmed and dysregulated, you all have been in the experience for the duration. So we all can close the door, roll the window up, and connect together, right? Calm together, and then move on. Just, yeah, like exaggerating that active experience and and um like you and said slowing like, it down it elongating yeah. emotional experience yeah. so that that child can sit Set. in that mm-hmm. and you know in and that, feel and, it and feel it and that's really putting them in that you know the rubber band podcast with mm-hmm. Patel and, mm-hmm. and Sanjay where you're stretching that band you're you're holding that stretch they're feeling that little bit of discomfort. Comfort, yeah. And it's okay to feel that. Yeah. We're not rushing you through it. No. And that's where the growth happens. And that's and, and, and I think yeah. And I think to the the feeling uh, the sitting in the feeling, the taking the time to do it, um, leads to that elongating. Because the opposite of not sitting in it and taking the time to really dig into that experience is is, is what typically happens. We go, oh, God, you're sad. Oh, dear, you're sad. Rush, 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 right? With not, maybe not with intent. But definitely we, for some reason, I don't know if it's by nature or nurture, um, we, we're uncomfortable with staying in those hard places, right? And, and without being conscious, we are transferring that discomfort to our little ones. When we want them to jump over feeling sad, jump over feeling frustrated, rather than experiencing it, 
and you experience, we experiencing it with them gives it even greater meaning for all those things you listed before, um, but also for a sense of feeling safe in an emotional state that may not be very known. And um, as a child, they may not have all of the cognitive pieces to work along with this intense emotion, but being able to experience it with another brings the element of safety there. We're connecting through our emotions. We're feeling safe in those difficult moments with those difficult emotions. And I don't usually like to use difficult. I just like to use intense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, And the more you give the child the opportunity for those experiences, so coming back full circle to the title of this podcast, creating those opportunities, then the more they will have the opportunity to feel comfortable with it. And then it will generalize so that they'll understand, oh, you know, like parents always so scared. If I do that, if I indulge them, they're going to be like that everywhere. Well, if you indulge it and they get used to it, then they will start to learn, okay, it's appropriate to do it here, maybe not here. And and with this person, they don't like that, maybe won't do it here and I'll do it here because our kids learn that anyway. Like you said, yes, uh, they do. They're at school all day, they might hold it all in and then they come home and ah, like I've had Mm -hmm. it all day. They've learned to hold it in there. So if if we give them these experiences of that emotion, allow them to feel that, that gives them the practice that they need to then understand how to regulate and feel where is it appropriate where is it not so we get to that point of self-regulating in the future yeah yeah definitely and i i think like you said it is definitely a journey progression um where but we have to start somewhere and i think that beginning (laughs) excuse me is the understanding sitting in the emotion because you can't make modifications for something you don't know can you right um but as we are there the core with that core reg as that core regulator we are having those experiences with them in different settings so they are after a while starting to meet those internal adaptations as well as from modeling and and then the feedback they're going to get as well from the environment they're in will help to give triggers. Well, I didn't feel very safe when that happened there. Um, But it is first knowing and being able to understand through co-regulatory support what's happening with me, what what am I feeling, how am I connecting, um, experiencing, and moving through it. I know I said through and not past, uh, (laughs) that then brings them on that journey of being more successful um, with with those challenges that may pop up anywhere in their experience in their life. Um, So, yeah. So, so many great tips today. Uh, (laughs) Slowing down, working through transitions with patients and uh, feeling, you know, acknowledging what you're feeling. Um, I'm going to put all of this in the blog post at affectautism.com. Uh, you can search Kashina, K-A-S-H-E-E-N-A. Uh, for those watching on YouTube, the link to the podcast is below in the show notes. And thank you so much, Kashina. Just You're welcome. Wonderful. You're welcome. Rich, Sorry. I, love, I love the way you word everything um, mm-hmm. to help us 
really internalize and understand these concepts in DIR floor time. So I really no problem, you. no problem. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. And I want, just want to say hello to all your parents, all your viewers. I am your fan. <laughs> and for parents listening that think I want to get some of this Kashina guidance, uh, <laughs> she is a coach in the DIR home program. I'll put a link to that in the blog post if you uh, are interested in having her as a coach, you can sign up and yeah. uh, request sessions with Kashina. <laughs> and she will she will help uh, make sense of, of what you're going through. So uh, thanks again. You're welcome. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at icdl.com the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential.